here and you're looking around and you're wondering, like, wow, there are a lot of guys here. Where are the women? Uh, our women right now are up in Tahoe. They are on their annual women's retreat. And uh, we are really excited to be able to bless them and to send them out. Uh, so far, it sounds like they're having a great time. Uh, if you are a dad here and your uh, wife is on the retreat, first of all, I want to say sorry. Uh, I know my wife is there and I've been with my son all weekend and it's, uh, it's, it's hard. Uh, and so, but second, I want to say thank you. Uh, I know that this weekend means a lot to them, and I know that this is refreshing. I know it's a blessing to them. And again, it sounds like they're having a really good time. So thank you, uh, dads. Thank you, husbands, for freeing up uh, our wives to be able to go. It's actually funny. Uh, the last time I got up here to preach was uh, when the men were in Tahoe on their retreat. Uh, so I'm just going to use the same sermon uh, again. I'm, just, I'm kidding. Uh, it's like they don't trust me to speak to the whole congregation or something. Well, my name's Kevin, and I am a part of the teaching team here, and we are uh, just over the halfway mark in our sermon series, Bodybuilding. And uh, we are looking at what does it mean to be a healthy people, and a healthy family, and a healthy church. And, and I just want to kind of highlight a few things here. Uh, this is a, a personal desire. It is a corporate desire and a personal desire. And so it might be really easy to come and to think, yeah, like we want to have a healthy church. Uh, but the reality is, is, is we're only going to have a healthy church when we have healthy people and we have healthy families. So, so this isn't something that we can just come and say, yeah, the church needs to be healthy, but like I don't really care. Or this doesn't affect me. Because the reality is we are only as healthy as the members of this church are healthy. And I also want to emphasize that this is very important. Uh, it's not... A, uh, you, you can't be neutral when it comes to health. So either we are healthy, or the alternative is that we are unhealthy. Uh, and you guys know from your own physical illnesses or sickness or, or people that have gotten cancer uh, that unhealthy is not a good thing. Uh, and sickness tends to more sickness. Uh, and sickness debilitates and prevents us from being able to do the things that we need to do. So really quickly, let me recap. Where, where have we been so far? Uh, we've talked about four things. Uh, first, we've talked about holistic small groups. Um, so the reality is that as, as a church, we will not be healthy until we are living in community with each other. Places where we can be vulnerable. Places where we can be open. Places where we can encourage and spur one another on to follow Jesus. We talked about passionate worship. Uh, Discovery Church is going to be a healthy church when we can come on Sunday... Worship God and be filled up to go out and serve in the community. We talked about loving relationships. As we won't be a healthy church unless we can learn to love one another, to love our families, to love our friends, and to love our communities. We, last week we talked about evangelism. And guys, the reality is that Discovery Christian Church will not be a healthy church until we realize that our goal is not just to focus on ourselves. That we can't view Sunday as just a, a holy huddle where all the Christians get together and talk about Christian things. We have to be outward focused. We have to be thinking about the community. We have to be thinking about our friends and our family that don't know Jesus. And we have to be moving towards them. This morning, we're talking about the, the sermon is called Right for the Job. And what we're going to talk about is, is spiritual gifts uh, and how we use our gifts and our talents 
to serve. Discovery Church will be a healthy church when each and every one of us is using the gifts and the talents that God has given us to serve our families, to serve each other, the church, and the community. So here's my question. As we, as we dive in, I want you guys to be thinking about this. This is the question for us. What would it look like for me to use my gifts and my talents to serve my family, my church, and my community? So what would it look like for me, for you, to use what God has given you, gifts, talents, abilities, to serve your family, your church, and your community? Now, I'm going to use a couple words interchangeably. I'm going to use service and ministry interchangeably. And the reason I, I feel free to do that is that the word ministry comes from the Latin minister, uh, which literally means servant. So the root word is minus, which means less. So to be in ministry means that you have put yourself underneath others to serve them. So if I use them interchangeably, that's why. When I talk about service, I'm talking about ministry. When I talk about ministry, I'm talking about service. So this morning I want to ask, what is your ministry? Where are you serving? Now, I'm not going to guilt trip anybody into signing up for the kids' ministry. Uh, I'm not going to put the pressure on to get more people here at 8 a.m. to set up. Although, uh, maybe some of you will feel that that is what God has you to do next. Um, my goal is to paint a picture of health. The reality, that's my son, by the way. So uh, I paused because I was like, oh, that sounds familiar. Uh, my goal is to paint a picture of health in that just as in when we're not exercising, uh, we are not healthy physically. In the same way, when we are not using the gifts and the abilities uh, that God has given us to serve, uh, we are not healthy. And so uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we are going to look at Romans 12. So if you have a Bible, uh, open up to Romans 12. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles available on these tables. Um, if you're near a table and, and somebody raises a hand, could you get him a Bible? Uh, Romans 12. If you don't own a Bible, uh, this is yours to keep. Also, if you took Jesse's advice and downloaded the app, you just pull up your app. It's got Romans 12 right in there. Let me pray. God, thank you for this morning. Uh, and we do uh, thank you for the opportunity the women have to get away and to be on the retreat. Pray that you would bless them. Uh, would their last morning there be uh, fun and enjoyable and, and life-giving? And uh, would you keep them safe as they come back? And Lord, as we open up to Romans, would you... Open our eyes to see more clearly your will for our lives. Lord, would you help us to see the ways that you have gifted us and made us? Would you show us opportunities to serve and, and give us motivation to serve? God, I pray that you'd be with us this morning. Uh, would you clearly lead and clearly guide? And we love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So there are a lot of different analogies in scripture used to describe the church. Uh, sometimes they talk about the church as uh, a building, right, a temple, and everybody is a different brick and you're all being built together into a church. Sometimes the church is described as a family of uh, different members of the family all getting together and loving each other. Sometimes it's talked about as the, the bride of Christ, uh, married to her husband, Jesus, who is the leader but the most common analogy is that of the body. Uh, so we see this in 1 Corinthians 12, in Ephesians 4, and in Romans 12, which we'll look at here. Uh, the idea is that Jesus is the head 
uh, and we, the members of his church, are members of the body. So let's read Romans 12. Uh, we're just going to read verses 1 through 8. Paul says this. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing, renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So we're going to look at two things. And, and I won't keep us too long because, uh, well, the women aren't here and, and church is falling apart. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Two things, and because I, I don't think much needs to be said here, I'm just going to try to say it maybe a little bit louder than normal. First, why do we serve? And second, how do we serve? That's it. We're going to look at why do we serve and how do we serve. So, so why do we serve? And I'm going to probably spend most of my time here. Why do we serve? Uh, verse 1, Paul says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Uh, what he's doing here is he is referencing everything he has already said in Romans 1 through 11. Uh, and the, guys, motivation is everything. Motivation is everything. If you are currently serving in the church in any capacity, I want you to hear this next part. There are a lot of wrong motivations for service. Uh, one potential wrong motivation would be guilt. Maybe somebody gets up here and starts talking about how there's, there's not enough kids workers and we keep having more kids and you feel this sense of guilt of like, oh man, if I didn't serve, I would feel bad. I would feel guilty. Maybe it's pride. Kind of a cool thing to serve in church. It's, it's, in church, it's cool to be a servant. Maybe not elsewhere, but in, in church, it's definitely cool to be a servant. So maybe we serve because we want to be seen. We want to be noticed. Honestly, guys, I, I think we all wrestle with that at some level. When we do things, we hope that somebody notices. Or maybe, maybe we serve as an act of, of penance. Maybe we feel bad about the things that we've done, our, our sin that we just can't seem to get rid of, and we think, man, I just need to go and serve at church, and, and then maybe, maybe it'll balance the scale a little bit. Maybe it'll make up for, for the bad things that I've done. The problem with these motivations is that they don't last built on, on a faulty foundation. If, if you're motivated by guilt, then service will always make you feel bad. And eventually you'll grow bitter, and you just won't want anything to do with church. Honestly, a lot of people who have been burnt out in church were motivated by a sense of guilt. Of, I have to do this, or I feel bad. I can't do it, so I feel bad. Or I don't want to, so I feel bad. And eventually they just don't want anything to do with church and service. If you're motivated by pride, wanting to be seen by people, you'll spend the rest of your life on a performance treadmill, hoping that people notice and affirm you. The problem is people can never affirm you enough. 
And eventually you'll look elsewhere. And hopefully you've, if you've been here for a while, you realize that trying to make up for the bad things that we've done by our service is contrary to everything Jesus says in the gospel. We can't make up for the bad things that we've done. We don't need to atone for our sin. We need to be forgiven of it. So these can't be our motivation for service. They can't be our motivation in ministry. So what is it then? Well, Paul says, by the mercies of God. Now, I'm going to do a very quick overview of Romans 1 through 11. And I, I think it's worth the time because Romans is, I would argue, one of the most important books in the Bible... Because it is the most clear and simple and direct explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want to know what Christianity is about, you read Romans. So Romans, real quick, 1 through 3, chapters 1 through 3, Paul makes an argument for sin. He makes an argument that every single human being on this earth has done evil, has pursued selfish gain, and has rejected the laws of God. This is true of us. This is true of everyone. And he, he sums it up in, verses, in verse uh, 3.23. He says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Meaning the standard is perfection and nobody's met it. He's very thorough. It takes him three chapters to get there. But then he, he transitions. Verse 23 and 24 are the turning point in Romans. In verse 24 he says... ...and are justified, meaning made right, by his grace as a gift... ...through the redemption that is in Christ. That in Jesus there is another way to be made right. Separate from our actions. Chapters 4 through 8, he, he goes into great detail. What does this mean for us? If Jesus has actually forgiven us of our sin... ...how do we live? What, what does that look like? Six, uh, chapter 6, verse 23, one of my favorite verses. I think it's a, one of the clearest pictures of the gospel. He says, for the wages of sin is death, meaning what we've earned from the bad things we've done is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So salvation, right standing before God, is a free gift. It's not something that we earn. It's not something that we pay for. It's not something that we deserve. But it's something God gives freely. And in chapter 8, uh, arguably one of the most beautiful chapters in the whole Bible, he starts out in verse 1 saying, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you are a Christian, if you have put your faith in Jesus, this is as true of you right now as it has ever been and will ever be. That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. When God looks at your record, he sees clean. No condemnation. And then verses, he closes the chapter in verses 38 and 39. He says, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not only is there no condemnation in Christ, but there is absolutely nothing that can change that. That's the good news ...of the gospel of Jesus. And in, in chapters 9 through 11... ...he wrestles through some of the implications of that. Particularly at the time when it was written... ...what did this mean if you were a Jew? And what did it mean if you were a Gentile? Did, did God treat those things differently? And, and so he wrestles through those things. In chapter 10 he says this... ...faith 
the thing that saves us, it comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. That it's not about whether you are a Jew or a Gentile. It comes from, have you heard the gospel and responded in faith? And then he sums it up. And this is the last verse of chapter 11. He says this about God. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So what Paul says in chapters 1 through 11 is that every human being has separated themselves from God because of their sin. But in Christ, we are forgiven. That God has gifted us with forgiveness, with eternal life, with hope, with joy. And that there's absolutely nothing that we can do to lose that. But now when Paul says in, in chapter 12, therefore, by the mercies of God, what he's saying is, Therefore, because God has done this for you, offer your body as a living sacrifice. Our motivation is what God has already accomplished for us. What God has already done, what is already true of us. We don't serve to become a better Christian. We serve because we are a Christian. A couple notes on this analogy. When we think about service, and this is, this, this is what Paul says, living sacrifice. First thing, that, that means it's costly. Sa service is, is costly. Sacrifice means that we have to give something up. This means that we don't just serve when it's convenient for us or when we want to or when we feel like it. It means we don't just love people when they love us first or when... They're agreeable. To be a living sacrifice means to lay down my life for the service of God and others. And if you're a parent, you know this all too well. You know what it's like to love somebody that doesn't love you in return, that can't really love you in return, that is needy, that just takes a lot. To serve means sacrifice. This also means that our service is not limited to Sunday morning. It's not a checklist that, wow, I, I helped with setup team this morning. I do not need to do anything else this week. I am good with God. That is not how it works. Service, living sacrifice, this is a 24-7 job. Whether you're at home or at work, on Sunday morning, we are always thinking service. We are always thinking ministry. We are always a living sacrifice. It also means that our service ultimately is to God. First and foremost, we serve God. We don't serve discovery first. We don't serve our families first. We serve God first. He deserves our service. He has purchased us for himself. He has destroyed every barrier that has kept us from him and given us new life. And we serve him. Now in serving him, he does. He asks us to serve the church. He asks us to serve our family and our communities. But we have to keep in mind, it's him first. Because here's the thing. I, I don't always want to serve at church. I don't always feel like my family deserves 24-7 from me. They do, but I don't always feel that way. But God, he deserves everything. He's earned everything from me. He has purchased everything of me. So we serve God first. Okay, why do we serve? Because God has done everything for us and has asked 
everything from us. And if you have any more doubt about this, Jesus in Luke 9.23, I didn't put this up on the screen. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. What he said is, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to follow me, then that means that we daily die to ourselves. Now, that's a, a, maybe a bleak picture of service. And, and I hope that doesn't scare you away. Because the reality is that God, in his great love for us, has prepared us for good works. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says that we are God's workmanship created to do good works which he prepared for us. So when we walk in service, we are walking in the life that God has for us. And we have to daily remind ourselves of this. Every day we have to remember, God, I'm here to serve. I'm, I'm here to be a living sacrifice. What, what does that mean today? God, where are the opportunities to serve today? So we serve because of the mercies of God. Now, how do we serve? Let, let's get practical. Let's look at verses 3 through 8 one more time. I'm going to read them. He says this. It says, for the, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So how do we serve? First, uh, we serve to build up the body. In verse 5, he says really clearly, we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Now, we live in Davis. Uh, most of us ride bikes. Probably most of us in here have more than one bike at their house. I read somewhere that Davis might actually have more bikes than people. So uh, you all know how to ride a bike. You've all seen many people ride bikes. But, but just for a second, think about the miracle of riding a bike. Think about all the different parts of the body that have to work in conjunction together in order to not crash. I was watching Grayson out there. He was the one on the, the little kid on the bike who's pedaling. I was amazed that here is a three and a half, four year old who has the coordination to push off with his feet, to hold on with his hands, to stable himself with his core, to look where he's going with his head, and to still sing while he's doing it. That, that is an absolute miracle. And each part of the body work together to accomplish one task that they could not accomplish on their own. My other example was chopsticks, but I can't really do chopsticks that well, so I thought it was a bad example. But, but just think about like, the daily things we do and how all the parts of our body work together. It's really beautiful when we stop and think about it. And this uh, should motivate us even in the most mundane of tasks because we realize that on our own, we may not be doing much. You look at Grayson's foot, all he's doing is this, right? But when you look at the whole, this dude's riding a bike and singing. That's a lot cooler than just doing this. Look at, Paul says this way in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. 
On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. There's a story of a few men that were constructing a wall uh, outside of this beautiful cathedral. And there's a man who comes up to these different workers who are all working on the wall. And he asks them what they're doing. And the first one says... Uh, he says, what are you doing? And the first one says, I'm laying bricks. That's it. Day in, day out, I'm laying bricks. He goes to the second one and he says, what are you doing? He says, I'm, I'm building a wall. Bricks, but I'm building a wall. But then the third one says, I'm building a cathedral. I, I'm, I have a part to play in this building. Look at how beautiful and magnificent it is. I'm helping with that. Laying bricks. But the perspective of what he was doing was different. So uh, I want to call out for a second here. Uh, I know they were already up on stage a couple weeks ago, but like Kim and Sean Miller, okay? Uh, and now Chris and Samaj also, they make coffee out there. So if you guys haven't had our coffee, it's phenomenal. It's pour over. It's good. Uh, it's going to be available right after service. It'd be really easy for them to think, yeah, I just, I pour coffee. But they don't just pour coffee. Because here's the reality. This is something I, I thought about this this week. What if, what if there was somebody new who came to church uh, who wasn't a Christian, and maybe they stayed out a little bit late the night before, and they came to church, who knows why, and, and they got a cup of coffee. What if that cup of coffee was what kept them awake during the sermon? And what if during the sermon they had a ch chance to hear the gospel of Jesus and their life was changed forever? Well, well then you're not just pouring coffee anymore. You're changing eternity. You're advancing the kingdom of God. Many of you guys help with our kids' ministry. I think probably half of us in here at some point in time have helped with the kids. You're not just watching kids. One, you get to share the gospel with these kids, potentially forever changing their life from here on out as they get a chance to hear and respond at an early age to the message of salvation. But more than that, you are giving parents the freedom to come and to worship and be refreshed so that they can go back out and serve. You're serving that family so that they can serve their community so the gospel and the kingdom of God can continue to advance. You're not just watching kids. Maybe you're helping your, your neighbor with some jobs around the house or buying a meal for a homeless person. You can fill in the blank. There's lots of ways we can serve. Jesus says, if you help the least of these people, you've helped me. If you buy a meal for the least, you've bought a meal for me. If you clothe the least, you've clothed me. When you do even the most menial of service tasks, Jesus says, you're serving me. Dad, that might mean babysitting the kids so that mom can go on women's retreat. You're advancing the kingdom of God. Students, it might mean taking that awkward kid in your class out to lunch or helping somebody with their homework. You can fill in the blank. There's lots of opportunities that we have in our world. To serve. But we, though it may be small, it is, it is part of a larger picture of what Jesus is doing in the world. So we serve to build up the body. 
Second, we, we serve uniquely. We serve according to the gifts and the talents that God has given us. Verse 6, he says this, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So, you know, imagine if you're riding a bike and all of a sudden your hand wants to be the foot or the ear wants to be the nose or, what, you know, fill in the blank. The body is healthy when every part is doing its unique part. And I, I want just to paint a picture here of what happens on a Sunday morning. In order for this to happen, I'm not even going to list all of it, but just listen to, to all the people involved here. Okay? We have our elders and our leadership and our staff who have been praying and planning out sermons for us. So they, they know what we're doing two months from now, three months from now. We have a team that arrives at 8 a.m. to start unpacking boxes to set up. There are our janitorial staff that don't even go to this church, that work with the school, that come to open the doors for us, make sure we have everything we need. Somebody sets up the boxes. I don't even know how the boxes get here. Somebody's job is to get the boxes here on Sunday morning. We have our worship team who arrives. They set up their instruments. They practice. They practice during the week so that when they come, they can practice and it can be not awkward. So that you guys can worship, so that we can worship God without distraction. We have an audiovisual team that does not get enough credit behind the booth every week, making sure that the slides match up with what I'm saying. Trying to make sure he doesn't like go too early so that you guys don't jump ahead. Make sure our sound is all in check, that we don't get those awkward screeches that throws everybody off, wakes up the kids. We have our greeters, our coffee crew, our MCs, helpers to watch the kids, our prayer team, ushers. I'm, I'm a pretty small part of what happens on Sunday morning. I probably get the most FaceTime on a Sunday. Whoever's preaching gets the most FaceTime. But really, I probably do a minimal amount of work compared to what everybody else does and all that goes in to this service. Like different instruments in an orchestra with Christ as the conductor, each instrument plays its part. The trumpet doesn't start playing the, the oboe parts. The flutes don't start playing the violin parts. Every instrument plays its part. If the setup crew decides they don't want to show up and set up, we don't have church. Every, every person plays their part. And I think one more picture of this that, that really resonates with me is when we think about evangelism and we think about reaching the world that doesn't know Jesus. So I work with college students and, and I, I tell them all the time that there are students in their classes and in their dorms and in their apartment complexes that I will never meet, that will never come to one of our group meetings, that probably will never show up to a Sunday church, that you, freshmen in the dorms, might be the only opportunity they ever have to meet a Christian and hear about Jesus. Reality is if we leave the, mess, the, the, the work of evangelism to a few elite Christians, it won't get done. There will be people that will not hear. So this is a, a fantastic picture of the body working together to make sure that every corner of the earth is an opportunity to hear about Jesus. Okay, so we serve uniquely. We serve to build up the body. I want to get really practical. I, one of the things I love about Davis, everybody at Davis is super practical. Like, tell me what to do. Give me a list. Give me some check marks. Uh, and so I put together just a, a, few, a few thoughts. My, my hope is that you're thinking at this point, and it's like, yes, I want to be motivated by the gospel. I want to be so moved by what God has done for me that I want to go and serve as a living sacrifice. 
and I want to serve to help the body. And I want to serve in a unique way uh, wherever God might have for me. So, so how do we determine then, well, what is that? Should I sign up for kids' ministry? Should I sign up to help with coffee? Okay, three questions kind of asked to help us think about this. And uh, this is, uh, I'm going to invite you guys to think about these, but really I'm going to invite you guys to follow up with these more because um, I won't be able to do them justice here. The first one is this. Where is there opportunity? Where is there opportunity? Look and listen to the needs of those around you. Look and listen to the needs of the church, to the needs of the community. Uh, I live uh, in West-ish Davis, right before the one, like right next to the 113. And for some reason, I uh, live on this street that is like 75% of the street is over the age of 75. Uh, it's like where all the old people congregated. But it's not, not their like retirement center, but it's just like right before the retirement center. It's like the stage before that. There's a lot of older women that have trouble getting the trash cans out to their street uh, that really don't have the ability to perform some of the, the, the normal tasks that would need to be done around the house. So my wife and I have tried to, to, to serve in that way. We've tried to make ourselves available and to say, hey, if there's ever anything you need, like, come let us know. And they've taken us up on that, and I love that. I love that we've been able to serve them uh, in a way that they needed. So pay attention to the needs of those around you whether it's elderly neighbors or your friends in your class that maybe need a little extra help, uh, the needs of the church. Guys, we always do need more kids workers. We do need more people in setup crew. We have a team that works really, really hard, uh, and they always need more help. Second, what is your current ability? Now, I phrased this very specifically. So first, what is your ability? Uh, what I'm thinking about here is what are the gifts and the talents and the resources that God has entrusted to you. You might be an engineer. You might be really, really smart. You might have a lot of money. You might have a lot of extra time on your hands. You might be really, really good at administrative tasks. I'm not going to call her out, but we have the person who does a lot of the administrative stuff here. Uh, she is absolutely phenomenal. And she does in an hour what would take me like 10 hours to do. Maybe that's, maybe that's you. Maybe you're just really, really good at looking at Excel all day. Now, some of these are going to be natural talents, just things that, like, yeah, I've just always been good at this. I don't know why, but that's just always something I'm, I'm good at. Some of these might actually be spiritual gifts. And so I won't go into this too much, but, but God actually gives his church, his people, uh, gifts above and beyond just natural talents. Gifts of teaching and of serving and of leading. So one of our elders, uh, Justin, is actually really, really phenomenal at like, helping people discern those things. And so if you're here and you're thinking, you know, like, I, I want to serve. I've never really done any kind of spiritual gift testing. I don't really know what those might be. Uh, I'd encourage you to, to talk to Justin afterward. He's the really tall one. He's hard to miss. Uh, and and he, can he can help you. He has resources, articles, books. Uh, he's a great resource for that. So what, do you, what are your natural abilities? Do you love kids? Do you like to grill? Are you handy with tools? Are you good at math and can offer tutoring? But second, what is your current ability? Now here's the thing. Uh, we may be really, really gifted at something, but that doesn't necessarily mean we should do it right now. Right, there are seasons of life where things get busier, 
or things get less busy. Uh, and we have to discern whether or not it's right for us to serve at this moment. So uh, I'm, I'm so excited about this. Uh, one of our other elders, Jake, uh, you guys have been reading the emails. Uh, he's decided that at this time he's going to step down from being an elder. Now, it is not because he's not gifted. It's not because he doesn't have the ability. It's because this current season of life, it's, it's more than he should do. He needs to devote more time to his family and to his work. And I love that. I love that we can serve for certain seasons and then step down when it's appropriate. So, so maybe you do have the ability. Maybe you are really good at it. But maybe, maybe now is not the best time. So what is your current ability? And the last thing, what are your passions? What, what, do you, what do you like to do? What do you get excited about? Do you, do you love babies? Does making babies smile make you smile? Do you really enjoy public speaking? Do you enjoy leading small groups? Do you enjoy working around the house? Do you enjoy setting things up and tearing things down? Do you like making the perfect cup of coffee? If so, you are my new friend. What are your passions? All right. Uh, I was going to make a, a, like a Venn diagram out of these, but the analogy got a little wonky. So I'm just going to say this. What are the opportunities? What's your current ability? What are your passions? If there are two out of three of those at play, you should probably serve. Okay, so don't, don't wait for all three. Don't wait for the, per, the stars to align and the blue moon to come out and for the clouds to sing. Just if there are two out of those three. So if you're really, really excited and passionate about something and there's a need, would you consider serving there? Or if you're really, really good at something and there's a need, would you consider serving there? Even if maybe it's not your, your first desire. I think if we all wait for the perfect moment to serve, we'll never serve. You guys know that by now. There is no perfect moment to serve. So if there are two out of three there, uh, would you consider serving? Last thing here, I'll get really practical. If you're, if you're feeling motivated and like, man, I definitely need to do something. I haven't been doing anything or I'm new here. Uh, there are a couple ways that you can let us know. So on the app, there is a serve card. You fill it out and say, hey, I want to serve. Uh, how can I help? Uh, there's also at the connection point at the tent outside, there's a serve card as well. You can talk to somebody. Uh, again, we do always want help with, with the kids and with setup and teardown. But then actually a unique opportunity. In a couple weeks here, we're going to have our treat trail. So this is a, a kind of an annual thing um, for Halloween. And if you want more information at the connection point or on the app, there's more info about how you can help to, to give out candy and to serve uh, the city and the community uh, for Halloween. And remember, we, we have to start with the gospel. Okay, so even as I'm saying these things and you're like, oh man, I feel guilty, like I, I probably should be serving. Don't. That, that's not why I want you to serve. I want you to serve because God is a good God who has saved us, who has forgiven us, who has reconciled us to himself, and he's put us in a community and said, hey, I have work for you to do. I'm going to pray that the worship team is going to come back up. Um, if, if you do... Uh, feel like, man, I feel like either the Lord's putting this on my heart, I, I want to serve. Um, or if, if you're going back to the first half of the message and thinking, you know, I don't actually think that I could look back and say that God has had mercy on me yet. Uh, maybe, maybe you're there. Um, please talk to me afterward. Uh, I think we'll have members of our, our prayer team up here praying. Uh, as we worship, this time is for you. So I'm going to pray. God, thank you that you have done all the work. That though we were separated from you because of sin, that you reconciled us to yourself through Jesus. 
But thank you for your mercies. That there is no condemnation for us. That, our, that your love for us is so great. And that it's never going to go away. God, would you allow that love to sink deep down into our hearts and our minds? Would you help us to, to treasure it and to hold close to it? God, would that motivate us? Would we see ourselves as living sacrifices on mission to serve our families and our church and our community? Lord, would you give us opportunities to serve? Would you show us the needs of those around us? Put it upon our heart to reach out. God, thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you that we get to be a part of what you're still doing.